right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to get to our interview with Casey Martin here shortly. Um, this want to let you guys know this interview was part of our uh, partnership with Charles Schwab and their Challenger series. I want you guys to go to schwabgolf.com. Similar to our interview that we had with Mike Kaiser, they've got a great video with Casey Martin going through kind of some of the practice techniques that he instills uh, in his players at the University of Oregon. We, we talk about some of that during, during the interview, talk about the poker chips and stuff. So I do encourage you to go check that out. The videos are absolutely stunning. They're awesome visually, and they're really cool stories. So schwabgolf.com. And also, before we get started, I want you guys to go over to our YouTube channel. Um, check out episode three of Taurus Sauce. Just came out uh, this past Tuesday. We play Ojai Valley Inn. Similar to the previous episodes, the best comment that gets left on the video. This week, you're going to win a uh, Odyssey Golf Stroke Lab putter. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been giving away drivers. This week is a Stroke Lab putter. Go on there. Leave the best comment. Don't ask for the putter in the comment. You have to have clearly watched the video and make some kind of funny comment in relation to something you saw in the video. So so please do head over to the YouTube channel. Check that out. And uh, for now, enjoy our interview with Casey Martin and have a great holiday. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by the head coach at the University of Oregon, Casey Martin, the first uh, first college golf coach we've ever had on. We've wanted to do this for a while. But uh, Casey, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, would you? Uh, first question I kind of have for you is: Would you say you're known more for your time on the PGA Tour or for being the head golf coach at Oregon? Oh, I think I'm known most for the lawsuit with the golf cart. I mean that that is why. <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't that I took the PGA Tour by storm from a golf playing standpoint, but I would have to say that's probably why most people know my name. Well, I got a lot of questions kind of to ask about that, but first I want to kind of get into your background, where you grew up, and how you got into golf. Absolutely. So what? Uh, so you grew up in in Eugene, from what I gather. So I, I I was just curious how you ended up at Stanford then. Yeah. So I grew up in Eugene. Um, went to South Eugene High School. Been been in Oregon all my life. Got playing golf at a young age and at Eugene Country Club. And just as my life is. I love sports. I grew up going to all the Oregon football and basketball games and just loved it and and loved golf, but couldn't play all those sports at least not at a real high level because of my leg. And so, um, you know, with having a disability. So I, I took to golf. I could play that and did it. And, uh, you know, got recruited by a number of Pac-12 schools, and, and um, Oregon was one of them. And I like I said, I love Oregon just based on my family's connection to it and my love for the Ducks. But um, I didn't think I could play professionally, and so it was hard for me to turn down a scholarship to Stanford. And so I went there and, and, and loved my time at Stanford and – so that's kind of how I got there. And then I've lived in Eugene basically, you know, all my life. Even when I played professionally, I, I lived here. And, and uh, so it was an easy transition to be the coach when I retired from golf when I was 35 or 33. Was there anyone noteworthy that you uh, crossed paths with during your time at Stanford? I'd love to hear about your uh, your interactions with Nota Begay. Well, yeah, I mean, Nota and I were, <laughs> were, uh, were together the whole time. And, and then Tiger showed up our senior year. Tiger was a freshman. And and I, I lived with a lot of the guys on the football team. And one of them, a guy named Steve Stenstrom, was at one point the Pac-12 leading quarterback through the air. I think he had thousands and thousands of yards. And so um, that was fun getting to know a lot of those guys. So, yeah, there were a lot of famous people at Stanford and that, uh, just a couple of those guys that I 
was close with, but there were plenty more. What was your first interaction with Tiger Woods like? Um, oh man, I, uh, um, probably the first time I'm trying to think back, um, came on a recruiting trip and stayed with me actually. And a lot of those football players up, up in a home in Woodside, California, we had, and so got to know him there on the recruit, uh, you know, a lot in the recruiting trip and then played some amateur golf with or junior when I, when he was just coming up into the amateur ranks, played with him a little bit. And then certainly at Stanford for that year. So, I mean, the first impression you have is just how dominant his golf game was. I mean, Noda and I were both a couple time all Americans. And when he showed up as a 18 year old, he was significantly better than we were. I mean, by miles. So it was, it was fun to be around him to see greatness up, you know, firsthand. And, and he certainly hasn't disappointed. He just kept, kept doing it. Well, what was, what stuck out the most kind of in, uh, you know, you said he was miles and miles better than you at that point. Was it just the distance, the accuracy, the putting? Do, is there one thing yes. that really stuck out at that time frame that was that much better than anybody else that was in college? You just said it. Distance, accuracy, <laughs> uh, mental, putting, chipping. He was just flat out better at everything. And I think what stands out at the time was his speed. I mean, he was so explosive that it's, you know, his hips used to fire so fast and just, I mean, the ball just came off majorly differently, but it was more than that. It was everything. I mean, his, his mental take and just his, how he carried himself. I mean, he was, it was just way different, you know, and I'd played with great ones, you know, in, in college, I I'd played with Phil and, and, uh, had, had been around Furick and a lot of these guys, you know, and, and Noda, you know, who's great too. And then Tiger's just, is just way different, way different. What was he, what was it like kind of socially? Does, you know, he, he, you were, you were an elder guy on the team and he was young. What was, how did he fit in kind of from a social perspective on the team? I'm just curious what he was yeah. like at that age. You know, he fit in fine because he was kind of a rock star. And so, you know, people kind of would treat him maybe a little differently just because of, you know, his reputation, but I thought he fit, fit in fine. I mean, I was a fifth year senior at the time, so he was a freshman. So it wasn't like we were hanging out on weekends a lot together, but, mm-hmm. um, he seemed, you know, well adjusted. I mean, he was, I mean, it's hard to be totally normal when, when you're so great, you know, but I thought he did a pretty good job of it. I mean, people liked him and he fit in and, and so there, there were no issues there. I can imagine you can describe this much better than I can, and I, I kind of do this for the listeners that aren't familiar, and I, I imagine you've told the story many times, but can you explain the disability you were born with and kind of Ooh. how that affected your golf career? Yeah, well, basically, I have just uh, my right leg has massive vascular abnormalities, and so long story short, the blood will go down into my leg, but it won't, the valves and whatnot, the pump it back up don't work properly. So my leg will swell up incredibly. You can see it swell up. Um, and I wear a couple of really tight compression stockings to keep it in check. Um, and that's basically what I've had to deal with. And, and that in and of itself is painful. And it, you know, it is what it is. But I've had a lot of related issues with that when I've been really active. Um, you know, just the the blood because it kind of pools in my leg a little bit, it tends to create some problems and pain being one of them, but also just um, my bone in my in my leg has been deteriorated a little bit just because the blood circulation isn't as as good. So I've dealt with that since I was a kid, and and um, that's basically it in a nutshell. Well, I mean, I imagine this might be hard to answer because you've dealt with it for eternity with your golf swing. But does it affect your golf swing? Is it is it? Do you have like the full strength to to launch off of your right foot? Well, no, I, I I don't know if you launch off your right foot in the golf swing, but I don't. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not a golf coach. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I mean, it's affected me. Certainly it affects me from getting from point A to point B. And then, um, it affects my ability to, 
to do a few things in the golf swing. And if I think if you broke down my swing a little bit, you'd see some some unique things. I mean, mainly I probably pressure into my left side um, earlier and uh, than than some uh, because I don't like putting a lot of weight on my right. And so that's that challenge has been something. I mean. It's it's good in golf. You want to get into your left side, so it's not a bad thing. But I, I have a tendency to maybe do it a little too much or a little too early at, occasionally. So um, that's been something I've had to deal with a little bit in my golf swing, um, and certainly dealing with pain when you are swinging a club at 100 plus miles an hour and you know your leg hurts a little bit. It's sometimes hard to to trust, and and so th- those are the things um, that prop. But by and large. Um, I, I can hit the ball, you know, so it's not like it, it affects it greatly, but it's it, it has some impact for sure. Well, I mean, growing up as a kid and then in college as well, were you getting from shot to shot using a golf cart? So, no, not initially. I, I, I when I played as a kid, I walked around and and uh, but it was kind of in college when it started to go really downhill because I was walking so much and on it all the time and playing 36 holes midway through my college experience it got really bad and my coach pulled me aside and said look you need to do something because this ain't working out so um nancy 2a had a clause for people with disabilities to be able to to use a golf cart and my coach basically forced me to do it i mean i'm grateful for it and i i didn't put up much of a fight but i i fought it because i didn't want to do it um and so um once i did though it did it did kind of take some of the edge off and, and, and probably freed me up a little bit. So I stuck with it. So take me back to you're your finishing college now. And were you, you said it didn't sound like going into college that you were planning necessarily to have a, go- a career in professional golf. When did that change for you? And, and what, why did that change? Yeah, that's a good question. So no, I mean, I, I th- I'm a pretty realistic guy. And so when you're having a disability, it's like, you know, you got a Stanford education or try to go play the tour with a disability. I mean, it, it obviously makes sense to probably work hard in school and, and which I did, but my freshman year I was an all American. And so that's, I started to realize, okay, well maybe, maybe I can do this a little bit and, and it's starting to realize about how much work it takes. And, and the more I got involved in school at Stanford, the more I wanted to be a professional golfer because it was hard. And I, you know, I was an econ major and I don't know if I really loved it that much. And so um, I kind of like being on the golf course. And so I think midway through college, I started to realize, despite my leg kind of going downhill, that it was something that I kind of wanted to do. So I finished school, certainly, and and did fine. But school kind of waned as far as my passion. When I when I was going to Stanford, I kind of wanted to be a doctor. And and um, and that quickly was thwarted by some of the classes you had to take and some of the competition I was up against. And I was like, I, I can't do this. So I kind of took a little easier route academically at Stanford. Well, econ was still pretty hard from the standpoint of you're at Stanford, but it wasn't like doing the sciences. So, uh, but I didn't love it. And so um, I think I love golf more and that's kind of how my life has gone down that path. So, so leaving college, is that something you did immediately was petition the PGA Tour um, for, for ability to use the card? And were you surprised that there was the, the pushback that there was? Well, no, I didn't initially. So I played uh, on the mini tours, mainly the Hooters Tour, um, for a couple years down in the southeast. And, and my first year I walked and, and did okay, but my leg struggled. And then the next year I really struggled physically. And so I petitioned them midway through to give me a card and I was denied and I found out that they had actually reached out to the PGA tour on what to do. The tour advised them to say no. And so I learned that after the fact, but, um, I was denied that. And so I went to Q school one final time 
you know, and that's when I actually made it through. And that's when the whole uh, um, legal thing happened with the PGA Tour because they were denying me a cart. Um, and so I sued under the ADA and, and, you know, long story short, was able to win. Were you surprised at, at how much controversy that was and how much attention it got at the time? Uh, yeah, I guess when you get into it, it's not to me, it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, because I'd done it in college and they kind of knew I was coming and and, um, you know, the ADA was in place. And so I didn't think it would be a big deal, but they chose to fight it. And so they kind of, in a sense, made it a big deal. And so it kind of erupted and and, um, you know, certainly caused for some tension and for some anxious moments, but also gave me a, a little, you know, like I said, a name in the game. It, it gave me something that people knew me. So it created some opportunities for me, which was great. Last one on this topic, and then we'll get to some of your coaching at Oregon. But we're recording this during the week of the PGA Championship, and I'm sure you've been asked this yeah, one a bunch this week. But sure. what did you think about John Daly uh, petitioning and receiving a, a card at this week's PGA? Yeah, you know, that obviously just came out of the blue. And, and so a couple thoughts on it. First off, all that system that's been in place came kind of because of, of my ordeal. And, and now that they have an ability where you can petition and doctors look at it and, and they make an individual assessment. So when I went through the tour, they didn't, that's what the ADA says by law organizations have to do. You have to make individual assessments to determine whether it's a reasonable accommodation, right? And the, uh, the tour chose not to do that with my case. They sent back all my records, all my videos. I sent them. They said it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't apply to us. Get lost. And well, the court certainly said it does apply because it's the law, and you have to make individual assessments. So that sort of was the basis of my law law case. Okay. So 20 years later, the the PGA of America, they they. John Daly petitioned and sent in doctor's records. The doctors looked at it, made an evaluation and granted him a cart. So from my, my standpoint, it's certainly, you know, I can look back and say, Hey, you know, certainly um, 20 years later, it's starting to work more like the law would, would, would require. And, and I'm grateful for him that he got it. It's definitely a different situation than me, but at the same time, all disabilities are different and I'm not the one to judge whether, Hey, he's disabled enough or not. Um, they looked at it, the doctors looked at it and, and away we go. And, and I think the thing to keep in mind is when you're dealing with professional golf, you're dealing with big money, you're dealing with opportunity and, and someone with a disability, I mean, by law, shouldn't be discriminated against to go make a buck. And so, um, regardless of what you think, if John hadn't taken care of his body or whatever, I know that's some of what's been coming out. The bottom line is he has a disability that's recognized and, and he has a chance to go, um, earn his living this week. And so, um, I'm grateful for that. And, and, um, so hopefully he plays well today and makes some money. I know you still play some professional golf, but, uh, you've been the men's golf coach at Oregon for how, how long now is it? 2006. Is that right? Yeah. 13th season. Yeah. Wow. What was that process like and how did you kind of decide, you know, this is time for me now to transition from, you know, a full-time professional schedule into coaching college golf? Yeah, well, the writing was kind of on the wall on a couple levels. I wasn't playing very well. I was frustrated um, and my leg wasn't doing very well, even though I was writing. Um, I was in a lot of pain and I'm, I mean, wait, you know, just tough, you know, because I wasn't sleeping great because the pain was there and every day standing and, and trying to do what I needed to do. It just came to the point where, I could have put up with it if I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't, I was struggling and, and missing cuts. And so you just kind of, you know, through a series, you just kind of, for me as my faith, as a Christian, I was praying a lot about it. And just um, this opportunity arose at Oregon, which was unique to me. The head coach at the time was a friend of mine and pulled me aside and he said, Hey, if you ever consider not playing, you should 
take my job because I get ready to retire. And so it just worked out that he, he did, his name was Steve Nauser and he retired and he kind of brokered me to take over the job. And then he became my assistant for one year or that's what he said, which actually turned into probably about four or five years because he, he enjoyed it. And so we stayed on together. So it was at that process in that time in my life where I was kind of, you know, ready to maybe do something different. And um, I'd always love, you know, grew growing up in Eugene, I loved the Ducks. Um, loved the thought of, of taking a team and, and a challenge of, of a, maybe a non-traditional golf school and seeing, you know, if you couldn't try to do something special. And so that intrigued me. And what also intrigued me was the fact that I wouldn't have to go <laughs> practice all day and, and, you know, wear out my leg. And so it, it worked out. But it was tough, too, because I would put so much into my career, especially legally and all the stuff you had to go through. It was really hard to stop and walk away. So I was torn with that. I was torn with my identity of whether I should, you know, I viewed myself as a professional golfer, not a coach. And so there was a, a gradual transformation there of, you know, le- you know, kind of letting go. And that was painful. But I'm grateful I did it because it's, it's tough to make a living out there. The players on the tour are great. And not being able-bodied in a sense, it's even harder, right? So, um, but doing what I'm doing now, I do love it. And uh, it's been fun at Oregon to kind of make a mark and, and take the program and, and run with it. And you mentioned it being, you know, a non-traditional golf school. What was, and again, assume for the listeners that they that they don't follow college golf closely. What was the state of the program when you got there and the state of the program currently? Yeah, well, the state of the program, Oregon has a great athletic department, Um you know, track and field, that's the whole Nike tradition. You know, Phil Knight ran track at Oregon, and Nike started on Hayward Field, the, really the Oregon track field. So Oregon has a heritage of, of, of a lot of really athletics and running, and then uh, certainly in the last 20 years with football and the success there, and, and then Phil Knight giving so much back to Oregon. The facilities are amazing. So, so it was in place at Oregon to be really good at a lot of sports, but we were kind of an up-and-coming um, school in a lot of respects compared to the traditional powers, you know, in a lot of sports. But Oregon has been coming on. But when you look at Oregon, the program was was fine. It was solid. But um, it's hard in Oregon to compete against the Texases and, and Stanford's and, and, you know, USC's of the world just because it's a small state and it, it rains in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people like to play golf in the sun. So you you have to deal with that. And so that's probably why it's never, you know, it's not a, a non-traditional power just because it's it's a little more north and and, and that way so um but it's living here all my life I've, I've known you can play golf here year round it's so it's not detrimental it's just it's a more of a perception but um it was exciting for me to take over the program and and um you know almost share kind of what um i've learned through the years and and kind of i um kind of what i wish i would have done looking back on my career you know and try to craft a program based around that well, I, I kind of want to talk a bit about you know how you ba- you're balancing your role. I mean, you're dealing with kids that are, that are at a very impressionable age, and you're balancing your role between you know coaching them for the golf course, but also kind of shaping them for the rest of your life. And I think what you said inter- uh, earlier about just kind of how you viewed why you went to Stanford and what you how you viewed the rest of your life. The first thing I want to ask though, in the, along these lines, is did you is there anything you really learned from your college golf coach that has stuck with you and kind of influenced your coaching style at Oregon? Um, well, I think first off, I really enjoyed my time at Stanford and I enjoyed playing for Wally Goodwin. And so I had a great, um, I guess my view of college golf, I enjoyed it. So why not do it again? You know, um, I think some people maybe don't enjoy it as much. And so why would you want to get into coaching if you didn't enjoy it? So 
I did enjoy it. And so if I learned anything, I enjoyed playing golf and, and I enjoyed being around the guys. And so I wanted to do that. And I, um, certainly um, our coach stressed certain things, which I currently do. Um, and, but then I looked at our program at Stanford and, and what we did. And I was like, okay, would I do anything differently? And then I looked at my career and what I would have done differently and tried to come up with some different ideas of what my program was going to look like. And so what we do currently is kind of a combination of, things I wish we would have done maybe more of in school and stuff we did do. And, and, you know, it's not like it's a perfect program, but it's just kind of, it's brought some of my um, experiences to head and trying to craft them into what I would have done. And this is what we do. Well, one of the things that stuck out to me from the Schwab challenger video was the poker chips that got my attention immediately. So explain to me the poker chips and, uh, and how you guys do that. Well, the, so basically, um, one thing when I look back at my time at Stanford, when I started to really see improvement and really enjoyed what I was doing is when we competed a ton. Obviously, you play tournaments and that goes without saying. But when we were at home, we used to go play and, you know, for a few bucks on the putting green. And it used to be me and and the current coach, Conrad Ray, uh, you know, um, we'd go play with Tiger and Noda and all the other guys in the team. We would just go play for quarters or dollars or whatever. And we would have fun games and it was just a hoot and we had a blast and it was hyper, hyper competitive. And, and so I think trying to bring some of that and trying to bring some, some of the element of, you know, when you gamble on the golf course, it makes you feel pressure. And so how do you do that in an NC2A program when you're not allowed to gamble necessarily? So um, the poker chips came out of an idea years ago when on, on my team, a handful of guys like to play poker on my team and kind of during the poker craze 10 years ago and, they used to have these poker chips and mark their balls with it. And, and I, I it just kind of crossed my mind with my assistant coach. It's like, why don't we craft something? Let's, let's do Oregon poker chips and maybe create some games and challenges that we can do that the guys use kind of fake money. And we have this fun deal. And so it, it kind of grew out of just an idea and we did it the first year. I thought it was maybe going to be a little corny and wasn't sure how it'd be taken, but guys loved it. So we gave everyone kind of fake money poker chips that said Oregon golf and, Every practice, we competed for stuff. We had short game drills and or team drills, or we'd go play the golf course, and everyone would have to put you know ante up, and and we just kept competing, and it was really fun, and everyone loved it. So that was just born out of just an idea of of when I played well, I really felt like I was competing all the time. I wasn't working on my mechanics every day necessarily. I was trying to beat my buddies, and so to do that at Oregon, um, we tried to craft that, and it became really so popular that we tried to we just kept trying to refine it so that's basically all it is it's just guys out there trying to trying to trying to beat each other but it, with a little sophistication behind it and um that's what we do and we do a lot of it and the guys seem to have fun with it so help, help me kind of understand how that works because i mean that that's obviously like a, a very well organized team practice mentality what are like the NCAA regulations around how much you guys can practice and are guys kind of are is most practice like all done together as a team or guys kind of go off individually what's that what take yeah. me there what's that look like so college golf there's a wide variety of it and there's a lot of programs with very little structure you know and i never i didn't want to get into and have a program where i wasn't involved it just didn't seem like fun to me so at oregon there's a lot of structure for better or worse you know um but basically you're you're allotted 20 hours a week from the from the nc2a to mandate practice time and so around a golf counts is four hours so we play three rounds of golf a week, a typical week. We play three rounds, which is 12 hours. And then we'll do two, three hour 
or basically two two hour short game or team practices, um, maybe three hour depending depending on the week or whatever. And then we'll have a, the remaining time. We'll do some workouts that also count. So um, we try to be well rounded. But for those days that we're doing team stuff, it's it's not all practice where it's doing poker chip stuff. But maybe there'll be a couple challenges a day that we have to accomplish, and then the rest of the time the guys work on their game or what they need to do. And and so, but Brad, my assistant Brad Landing and I, who also went to Stanford with me, and and uh, we we kind of bring we bring a lot of our experiences together and, and try to craft practice that we, we would want to be involved in, you know, that's kind of what we do. And, but a lot of it's pretty traditional. I mean, you play golf, right. And, uh, but I think the difference is Brad and I both are decent players still. So we'll play with the guys and, and we're just pretty active with them. You know, it's not like we just sit back and, and uh, sip coffee while they play. We're pretty active, you know, and, and um, watching them and trying to develop them. And it doesn't mean we're there, all their swing coaches, um, but we, 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 we're involved for whatever, however that looks uh, and we enjoy it. And that's kind of how we do it. And, but some programs aren't like that. Some programs are, are more laid back. So to each their own. Well, with what you just mentioned there, I was always curious the balance between being a swing coach and being just a, a leader. I mean, so how do you yeah. view that? And is, how does that kind of compare to uh, other programs that you, that you see? Yeah, well, I think um, I think every college coach kind of wants to be their swing coach. They want to know, feel like they're involved that way. Um, and I'm no different. I, I like to I like to get involved that way, but it's dangerous because you know if you if you overhaul a kid's swing and he doesn't play well and you don't take him, then he, you know, how does that work out? Or if you give one kid a lot of attention and he starts playing well, then then how does that work? You know, there's a dynamic there. But I've kind of taken it that. I work with the swing coaches that the kids have and I encourage the guys to have them and, and I'll try to see and relate to those coaches uh, or the swing coaches based on what I see in competition and what I see on a daily basis. Um, and then if a kid's really struggling, I will get in there. I won't sit idly by, but it is hard. I mean, I have a lot of respect for good swing coaches because there's a lot of variables in the golf swing, a lot of variables in the, in a competitive golfer's mind that you have to balance. And so that part's, it's tricky. Um, and I've had some success and some not success doing it. And so I, I, I'm happy to do whatever. I'm happy to lead and guide and put pieces around um, or I'm happy to get involved. If, um, it just depends on what the kids need. So one, one interesting like, tidbit on that is so Aaron Wise, who was the EJ Tour Rookie of the Year last year, he, called, he was a player of mine and he called me up his senior year. Um, in the fall of a senior year, right when he had signed, he says, coach, I, I'm awful. I suck. I'm not at all. And I'm like, you know, he was just kind of carrying on, but he expressed dismay over, he didn't understand his golf swing. His swing coach at the time didn't understand his golf swing. And I want to be really good, but what do I do? And so I had a chance to kind of, you know, from, he was in Southern California at the time, his senior year in high school, but I had a chance to kind of help him and guide him. And I got him hooked up with a guy named Jeff Smith, who was a guy that I trusted uh, with my swing and learned a lot from. And, and so um, Jeff was asking me, he says, man, if you have any young players, I really want to help a kid go through the process. And so I just kind of, you know, I wasn't his swing coach at any level. I just kind of put the pieces together and, and, and um, really enjoyed that process of learning about how Jeff worked with Aaron. And, and I, you know, I, I talked to Jeff all the time about what I saw and kind of put it together and, Lo and behold, Aaron came up and was a dominant player, won the NC2As and turned pro after two. He actually worked too well because he turned pro after two years and, <laughs> and left and then, you know, was the rookie of the year on the PGA Tour. So um, that, but that was probably the best success story of, 
of maybe my coaching in a sense. And it, it involved me not being his swing coach, but it did involve me kind of playing a role and, and overseeing that. So it was enjoyable at that level. And certainly I don't get the chest pump of saying I'm his swing coach, you know, but I, I got to play a role in a young man's life to, and um, got to kind of be part of it and, and broker it. And it was, it's fun to see his success. Mentioning Aaron Wise there, have you seen any noticeable bump from a recruiting standpoint and, you know, him winning NCAAs and him being the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year? Does that change anything in the landscape for you for recruiting? You know, recruiting's been interesting. I, uh, I mean, you'd think so, and yeah, certainly it does. Um, but when you recruit to Oregon, my recruiting spiel with Aaron and a lot of these guys was, hey, it's never been done here. Let's try to do it. And, and, you know, um, and so that was kind of the underdog recruiting mentality of, Hey, let's, let's try to take down the perennial powers, come join me, you know? And so having done that now with winning a championship a few years ago, recruiting has been interesting because now you want to recruit all the A plus kids that have a chance to go to some of these traditional powers. And it's, it's a little different now. Um, and a little harder actually, um, on some of those guys, because it's, and been done, you know, the, the recruiting, I guess, recruiting cell of, Hey, let's do it. Let's, let's build a program now that it's kind of been built and we've won it's okay. What's what's next. And and so that part's been a little challenge. I've actually lost some kids, I think, because they either were really, really good and had options to go everywhere, or they wanted to go to a program and be that guy, the Aaron wise to win a championship at a program that doesn't, hasn't won one. So it's been a little bit of a challenge and it's, it's caused Brad and I a little bit to look hard and, and there's certainly plenty of good kids out there, but that part's been a challenge. It's not been like, Oh, we just won a championship. They all, everyone wants to come to Oregon. It's not like that. (laughs) I think they still, you know, there's a lot of great programs out there. So uh, we still have to kind of work extra hard um, to find, to find them and bring them to Oregon. But that's part of the fun. It's what I enjoy. And and the challenge is something I, I, I relish. I was gonna say that's that's relative for for challenge and that being the success is causing that uh, that that challenge to change yeah. the recruiting pitch a little bit. So, you guys won bit. the national title in 2016. So take me back to that time period going into NCAA's. Were you guys one of the favorites to win it? Was it was it a big upset? And kind of what what was that like? You know, being there for 10 years to to see your team win the national title. So it was an awesome thing. One of the highlights of my career for sure. And so the 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 it's kind of interesting. Um, I had this core team I thought was really good. Um, and Aaron was a sophomore at the time when we won it, but when he was a freshman, he came in on, on a team that, that was a little younger and had some talent and we actually just kind of exploded. So Aaron's freshman year, we, we got really, really good in the fall. In fact, we won all four of our events in the fall were ranked number one in, in, in the polls. And, we were really, really good. And then we kind of struggled that spring. And I think maybe we were a little young and, and had a few off the course issues and just, we kind of faded, didn't do great at the national championship that spring. And, and so the following year, the year we won it, we started off a little differently. We started off a little slower. We're kind of trying to find our way and then peaked at the end and won. So it looked like we were a little bit of an under the radar Oregon one because they're playing their home course. But if you look at it, it's just kind of how things worked out and just kind of the, the evolution of our team. It was an extremely talented team by virtue of the fact that a year earlier, pretty much the same guys, we were ranked number one and yet had kind of faded and, and retooled and came on back and then, and then won it. So, but it was, it was just a really fun process to see. And, and it was really anxious. I mean, hosting a championship like that we 
going to regionals, you know, we got shipped to Arizona and had to fight our way in totally different conditions to make it back to, and I look back on that and that's the unseen thing that people don't realize is you go to regionals and you got to finish top five out of 14 teams to make it to nationals. And that was one of the most stressful weeks of my life to just knowing the, the stress of you don't want to host a championship and not be there. In fact, it just happened this last week with Arkansas. They finished six and, and they won't be playing in their home tournament, you know, for the national championship. And it's just, it's kind of the untold story of the kind of the pressure that some of these kids and coaches are under um, when you host a championship, but we were able to do it. And we, we played in our home course and, and had our home fans and it was just an incredible journey and thousands of people out there cheering us on. And it came all the way down to a young man named Solman Raza who went to my high school, grew up. I used to, when I was still playing professionally, he'd come out and hit balls with me as a eight-year-old, right? And so to see him be on the team and be able to sink the winning putt in playoff um, was just, it's just a magical story of us hosting and a local kid from, um, grew up a mile from the golf course getting to sink the winning putt for the championship. So I've got this picture in my office that I just cherish is of Sulman winning the putt and him, you know, with his mouth wide open screaming. And it's just like, it's just kind of that epic moment and, and a culmination of a lot of hard work to get there and a really, really great, great feeling, you know? Well, that's, yeah, that's why you do it for, but, uh, was, yeah. was kind of, you know, that success what, with Aaron and with the team is that, what was the the recruiting process like for recruiting Norman Jong and kind of how he took the uh, college golf world yeah. by storm shortly well, after that? Norman did. He sure did take the world by storm. So Norman had committed prior to that. And basically my big selling point was him is, Hey, we're getting better. We're better, but I'm still looking for that a plus superstar to take us over the top. And he, he chose to come to Oregon over pretty much everywhere for that recruiting pitch. And when I was telling you about that, that was, I had that in mind about Norman in the sense of um, just an incredible iconic player choosing Oregon over a lot of other schools to try to be the guy that to do it. Well, his, his, before he got there, we were able to win um, before he showed up. And so he was almost like, coach, I don't know if I'm still coming. I, <laughs> you've already done, you don't need me, but uh, we did. And, and so Norman's story is interesting. I, I just saw him and just couldn't believe in the recruiting process, how good he was. And he was fortunate enough. He graduated early, um, came actually the year after we won. He showed up um, in January the next year. And, and, you know, we didn't win the championship, but we did win the Pac-12s and then lost in the finals to Oklahoma. And so as a freshman, Norman was the, he was the Phil Mickelson uh, freshman of the year in only half the year. And then the following season last year, um, he was the national player of the year, what would have been or should have been his freshman year. So um, Norman just came in and was just so good, so quick, and just just was incredible to watch. And then he left way too soon for my liking because, you know, you recruit him and, and, you know, thinking you'll have him for three years maybe, and and um, he leaves after a year and a half, and it's just like it just happened all too soon. But um, I'm so grateful he chose Oregon, and, and, you know, he struggled a little bit as a pro. You know, it's hard out there, and he's trying to – get things figured out but he is such a talent such a wonderful guy i just um cheer for him like you can't believe 
Well, that's kind of where I was going to go next, and you, I think it's kind of relative to what you were saying earlier about you know trying to guide these guys in the best way you can, and whether that be being a swing coach when needed or guiding them towards the right swing coach. I imagine something like Norman leaving after one year is kind of the same situation. You want him to be as successful as possible. So do you do you and him discuss like his future professional plans? Were you surprised he went pro, or did you look at kind of what he accomplished in that one year and say, yep, this is time, this makes sense? Yeah, no, I played a big role there. I mean, that's kind of why kids came to Oregon is or would come is to, you know, hopefully have me play some whatever role I can in that. And so, yeah, Norman should have turned pro um, from a stamp from a financial standpoint. He should have. I mean, um, I'm not going to divulge everything, but he it made a lot of sense financially for him to turn pro. Let's just say that. And so, um, you know, Norman's an interesting guy. He grew up. Um, you know, not really with a father in his life and, and uh, without a lot of money, growing up in a condo, basically, in a public golf kind of deal. And and so when you get that good and, and you've got a situation where you can kind of help take care of your family, that's why you go to college, right? So um, I, I was totally on board. I mean, it broke my heart to not have him on the team because we really suffered this year without him. But it, it, it was the right thing, I think, for him to do, certainly financially. But what he's learning is, man, there's a lot of good players out there. And when you're 19 years old and you turn pro, um, no matter how good you are, it's not easy. And, and he's definitely struggled, although um, I'm sure it's just a function of him just, you know, getting comfortable and just, just getting ready. I mean, Justin Rose missed his first 20 cuts, um, didn't he? I think when he turned pro at that age, and, and he's pretty good now. So um, I truly believe Norman will have a big impact in the game. Um, and I thought it would be this year, but it might be down the road a little bit, but I still think he's going to, he's going to do it. Yeah. He's got plenty of time. Um, what is, what's something that sticks out to you that incoming freshmen, uh, are yet to learn either about themselves or about golf or lessons that you find yourself kind of repeating year in and year out with some of your incoming freshmen? Um, you know, a lot of it's off the course stuff, just time management and just, um, a lot of it's mental things. Um, certainly most of these kids have golf swing improvement and skill improvement. Um, but that happens. And I think that what, what a lot of them don't realize is how important just emotions and their mental preparation and just getting their mind right really plays into their scores, you know, even more so than their mechanics. So, uh, the big thing is just, I, we, we try to attack it on all levels. I mean, we try to have mechanical help. We try to have mental help and emotional help and just play a role in whatever these kids need. Cause everyone is different. Some kids need things differently, but, um, I would say the biggest thing is what they're probably, they don't realize how much all the extra stuff plays into how they play, you know, just, you know, if they're stressed relationally or if they're stressed school, if they're stressed um, off the golf course, it kind of bleeds into it. So we try to make sure that, you know, they're doing the right things and kind of things um, under under wraps so that golf is a is a joy to them. It's not a stress. And um, so that, that part initially. And then, you know, a lot of the kids need different different levels of skill help. You know, a guy like Norman didn't need much skill help, um, but some of the kids do. And so it takes other kids a little bit, a little bit of time. And and, um, but, um, that's what we do. We, we, and Brad and I, we just get in there and try to play a role however we can, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's been, we've had a lot of success, so that's fun, but it doesn't always work out great. And there's always challenges behind every door and we don't have a lockdown on, on everything. I mean, we struggle as coaches too, to figure things out. And so, um, but we, at least we try hard, I think so. Is there anything kind of in your recruiting process that sticks out to you as, as a turnoff that would make you want to kind of stay away from a potential recruit? I mean, sure. You can think of a number of things. I mean, like I said, Brad and I, we talk all the time about it and um, about 
the number one thing though when we recruit is what do you shoot, right? right. <laughs> the biggest turnoff is if they shoot bad scores, right? Right. Because so much of of all these things we're talking about when when you play golf every day and compete, you post a score and it all goes into it. So if your mechanics are good and your mental's good and your physical your body's in good shape and you're in a good place emotionally, you're gonna probably shoot good scores and you're gonna be recruited. And if something's out of whack, you probably won't shoot good scores. So you look at when you recruit, you just, these kids shoot scores all the time. And you take that and you try to recruit the ones that do that, do shoot a lot of low scores. So it sounds pretty simple, but, um, but then once you get them, the kids struggle with different things and, and how to, how to help them is it's just different for everybody. There's no set thing, but the biggest thing we do is we, we try to recruit kids that shoot low scores. And then try, uh, if there's any turnoff, certainly attitude and academics can certainly turn you off. One thing that doesn't turn us off too much is, you know, a funky golf swing, because I've had some good players with funky golf swings. So if a kid's shooting low scores, doing it with a little bit of funk, that won't turn me off as much as you think. But chucking clubs or, or being a total punk would probably turn me off. And if you have a one point in high school GPA, that would probably turn me off too. <laughs> All right, last last one, and we'll let you out of here. Do you see uh, kind of how do you see how things have evolved? And I'm curious at that level, college level, and in high school golf, is there anything, or do you ever get the feeling that there might be too much reliance on TrackMan? How do you in- involve kind of some of the technological advancements in the game with your program? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think any you know the technology is is good. I mean, to use it, I mean, you can overdo anything. But the college programs now they're a lot more sophisticated. Um, you have technology like TrackMan and. And then you have a lot of the stat systems coming out and the data that's being generated from the tour. And you can, you can take a lot of that and, and uh, a lot of nutrition stuff, a lot of workouts. I mean, the game's changed. I mean, Tiger changed it, working out, doing certain things. So what we're experiencing now are these, a lot of these programs are just more sophisticated. But, you know, I, I probably am a little more old school, too. I just I love just going to play golf and chipping and putting with the guys and just competing. I think that's the number one thing. That's what we do. That's what we're about because that's what I think I want. I needed to be about more when I, when I played. And so that to me trumps anything like track man or, or any really high sophisticated level of analyzation or analyzing golf. I think the thing, just go get dirty, go, go play and figure it out. But it, a lot of these programs, ours, ours too, we've got a bunch of track mans and we love it because if there is a problem, it's easier to, figure it out sometimes but really golf is still golf you just go play and 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 like you said try to dig it out of the dirt a little bit and and i enjoy that process i enjoy being a coach and trying to help these kids do it and it's really rewarding when they figure it out and it is it makes me sad when they don't but um it's it's a fun it's a fun gig for sure awesome well thank you coach martin for the time and for all the uh insights into your program and career and uh, it's it's been great thank you very much we'll hope to do it again sometime I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.